down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. Hoping to be free, found a new home in the cemetery. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. This song, which Paul Simon wrote as a tribute to Art Garfunkel's blind friend, is actually filled with much imagery and symbolism that is still relevant today. While introducing this song during a live performance in Harlem in 1966, Garfunkel summarized that its meaning deals with the inability of people to communicate with each other, not particularly intentionally, but especially emotionally. So what you see around you are people unable to love each other. Fast forward one decade to the year 1976, and we see that a form of darkness or gloom has permeated many hearts and minds. On the world stage, military rulers in Argentina sent security forces out into the night to abduct and torture 10 high school students whom they deemed to be a threat to their power. And during this bloodshed event, known as the Night of the Pencils, the lives of those teenagers were forever changed, and six of the ten were never seen again. In Europe, an international occurrence known as the Flagstaff Hill event between the Republic of Ireland and the United Kingdom greatly heightened tensions between two countries. And here at home, gang wars between Italian families and Irish-American mobsters led to Cleveland becoming known as Bomb City, USA. A headline from the Cleveland Plain Dealer that year read, Bombing business booming here. Not only were conflicts raging among various nations and warring factions were battling for territorial power during the year 1976, but personal crime and murder rates began to soar. And in New York City alone, felonies rose 13.2% the worst rate in that city's history. In an earlier study conducted by President Johnson's Commission on Law Enforcement and the Administration of Justice, their research found that murder 
is a seasonal offense and that murders occur more frequently in the summer than any other time of year, with the exception of December, which is usually 5 to 20% higher than all other months. While the experts sought to find answers for the causes of increased tensions, murder rates, and other types of individual crimes, life in most average American towns was seemingly ordinary. America's heartland was busy with hometown football games, county fairs, church on Sunday mornings, and a 40-hour work week. In the 1970s, Marion, Ohio, located in north-central Ohio, was one of the state's ideal cities and industrial powerhouses. Famous landmarks such as the Panama Canal, Hoover Dam, and the Holland Tunnel were built using equipment manufactured at the former Marion Steam Shovel Company. At the turn of the 20th century, nearly 80% of the nation's steam shovels and earth-moving equipment was manufactured in Marion, Ohio. This quaint town with a modern-day population of around 37,000 was the home of our nation's 29th president, Warren G. Harding, and features his Victorian-style house and burial site as two of its most popular tourist attractions. The Marion Popcorn Festival is the largest popcorn festival in the world and boasts of over a quarter of a million attendees each year. Famous people who either hailed from Marion, Ohio, or spent a portion of their lives there include 1938's Miss America, Marilyn Meske, former Treasurer of the United States, Mary Ellen Withrow, composer James Beckel Jr., and pop singer Huey Lewis. But in 1976, something happened in this unassuming little hamlet that would ultimately mar its peaceful image and adversely affect the lives of countless unsuspecting families. As on Sunday, August 8, 1976, Sean Great entered into this world. Now, according to the book, Oral and Literate Culture in England, 1500 to 1700, Elizabethan writer Thomas Nash remembered how as a young boy growing up along the English coastal town of Lowestoft in Suffolk, he was spellbound by the faiths and fables which were handed down by the local women folk. And this prompted him to write what might have been the precursor to the poem Monday's Child with one of its most popular renditions going something like this. Monday's child is fair of face. Tuesday's child 
is full of grace. Wednesday's child is full of woe. And Thursday's child has far to go. Friday's child is loving and giving. And Saturday's child works hard for a living. And the child that is born on the Sabbath day is fair and wise and good in every way. Certainly, this rhyme must fall under the category of fable, because Mr. Great's actions, by no means, are congruent with qualities such as fair, wise, and good, unless he wanted you to believe that about him. At the launch of Watered Down Women's Season 4, I made several attempts to contact Sean Great at the Chillicothe Correctional Institution, where he is currently incarcerated and awaiting his sentence of death. He declined my request for an interview, as did others with past or current connections to him. However, I was able to talk with a former acquaintance of Mr. Great's, who encountered a version of him that actually did resemble Sunday's child from the children's nursery rhyme. Dave Deal agreed to meet with me and share the story of his interaction with Sean Great during the early summer of 2015. At that time, Dave and his wife were seasonal campers at an area campground, and Sean Great had been hired by a woman to remodel her camper which was located at the campsite next to the Deal family's camper. Dave began by describing the first time he actually saw Sean. I uh, saw him standing on the steps of the camper and he had blue jeans on and had cigarette hanging out of his mouth and a ball cap on. And so I went up and said hi and, and uh, he said, hey, I'm working on a camper and uh, but anyhow, he um, seemed like your typical guy. Um, nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, fairly short haircut, I guess. Not too short, but fairly short. Uh, average build. Nothing, um, nothing stood out, actually. As time passed, Dave befriended Sean and even brought him an occasional sandwich or bottle of water. And the two men began to form a friendship of sorts. Yeah, whenever I'd see him, I'd wave, say hi, uh, whatever, and he'd wave, say hi back. Um, and sometimes he'd be sitting outside and have a little fire going in a fire pit. And I can remember one time, um, one little episode with Sean where uh, we were sitting there and he happened to look out onto the lake. And he said, you know, he said, uh, he said I'd like to own a houseboat. And I said, well, Sean, as hard a worker as you are, one day you'll probably own a houseboat on the lake. But gradually, Dave began to see a different side of Sean. It was uh, maybe later in May, uh, or it could have been early June. We were outside talking close to the uh, roadway there. Uh, and I was talking to Sean, he was talking to me, and then all of a sudden he stopped talking. 
and he was staring out on a roadway and when I looked out there there were a couple of women young women maybe 25 to 30 uh, and he was uh, staring at these ladies and I kind of maybe started to chuckle a little bit and, and laugh and thought well that's a guy for you and I was just about to play a little trick on him and wave my hand across his face and say earth to Sean come in please come in please because we were getting to be pretty well knowing each other uh, but I didn't and then he kind of snapped out of it and then uh, he started back his conversation again but he was kind of like lost in this uh, world of uh, staring at these uh, ladies and I kind of just shrugged it off as well it's a guy thing but the most bizarre memory Dave held from that summer was an incident that occurred late one evening so another incident, it's about 10 o'clock, maybe 1030 at night. And uh, the wife and I are watching TV and she looks over at me and says, do you hear that? And I said, no, I don't hear anything. And so she turned the TV down and then she kind of pointed her finger out to the window to the left, which had been the camper up above us. And I said, yeah, I said, somebody's arguing. Sounds like they're fighting or arguing. And so I told her, well, I'll walk outside and see what's going on. So I quietly walked outside. I went around the camper. Um, you know, it's pitch blackout, uh, but the camper lights are on and they don't have mini blinds in there per se. They've got like curtain things and it's all lit up. And I see a guy whom I'm assuming has to be Sean and I see the ball cap on, and he's walking back and forth across the camper. I can see him through one window, then uh, 10 seconds later, he's going past another window, then he turns around and he comes back, and I can hear some kind of argument going on. Um, and it gets real loud at some points, and then it goes back down. But at no point um, is he looking in any direction or anything. He's just like looking ahead. So I got the impression that Sean was having an argument with an invisible friend. Um, I could be mistaken and there could have been somebody in there, but I think it was just him. Mr. Great finished the repair work on that woman's camper and Dave Dill never saw him again after that summer. The next year, Toward the end of the camping season, Dave was reading the local paper and saw a headline about the arrest of Sean Great, and this was his reaction. Yes, yeah, so I was basically shocked. Um, it was uh, uh, kind of a, a real awakening for me to think that uh, this guy whom um, I had, uh, you know, been talking to and... Uh, keeping up with, uh, it was like they were two different people. So, um, yeah, it was uh, shocking to me that he could uh, do these things, uh, kill these people. Um, it, uh, yeah, it just uh, made me cringe a little bit to think that, uh, you know, people are out there like that and that, uh, you know, there's uh, two different people, literally. Um, you know, here's 
Sean the good guy, and here's Sean the bad guy. So yeah, that um, that was really uh, uh, an eye opener, and also you know very uh, sad that all that came down like that. When a person puts his best face forward, he is essentially behaving very well in order to gain someone's approval, and he does this in hopes of that person finding him instantly likable. Individuals, for the most part, tend to give others the benefit of the doubt when it comes to first impressions. However, they usually proceed with caution when it comes to forming friendships or entering into intimate relationships with someone. But if we go back to the beginning of this episode and consider additional lyrics to the sound of silence, the lines that say, "The words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls, and whispered in the sound of silence," some believe that the term prophets are those who have either Remove themselves from, or have been thrown out of society. And what they are prophesying is that modern life does not, and will not, cure the ills that exist inside the human psyche. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words, like silent raindrops, fell and echoed in the wells of silence. Herein lies the warning: Don't submit yourself too freely. Watered down women with diluted dreams are. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered-down women. Weekend in life, while searching for love. From above.